Welcome to Sunday school. Micah chapter 2. It's good to see you all staying faithful. If you can be here every time the church doors are open, you'll be blessed. Now, I would also say if you determine to come in here and not be blessed, you won't be. Right? Uh, Everybody's saying, man, I really had a great time in church today. And there's always a grumpy Gus who never had a good time in church. And it's because you didn't come here expecting a blessing. All right, we're going through the book of Micah during our Sunday school hour. We'll be in chapter 2 today. I'll remind you that Micah has been sent by God, proclaiming God's message to Samaria and Jerusalem, which were the capital cities of both houses in the nation of Israel. Samaria being the capital to the house of Israel to the north, Jerusalem the capital to the house of Judah to the south. Micah has been sent to warn them that they will be led away captive because they have rebelled against God. They have played the harlot with strange gods. But God gives them space for repentance, we talked about last time. And aren't you glad for that? He gives us space for repentance. He just wants us to get right with Him. But they refused, they refused to get right with God. The entirety of the house of Israel's history was always wickedness. And they would be the first to go into captivity. They would be led away by the Assyrians. And that captivity was so severe that the foretelling of it here says that it would be an incurable wound. And again, when you throw out the physician, you throw out the healing. And so it was going to be an incurable wound. Israel would be sown among the nations. They would lose their kingdom identity. And despite Judah watching this unfold, as they watched their neighbors to the north, their sister as the Bible calls them, they did not take heed and they too would go into captivity about 125 years later. They would be led away captive by the Babylonians for 70 years. And while Judah would return to the land, they would never again regain their former glory with the exception of a short-lived Maccabean period in Judah's history, they would never get out from under Gentile dominance again. And we're still seeing the effects of that today. If you look at the skyline of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, there are Islamic sites. And so the Gentile footprint is still very evident. We've seen in chapter 1 all the captivity language, all the play on words, which help to better picture the coming Judgment, the coming captivity. Remember that Samaria would fall by the Assyrians and the Assyrians would get all the way to the doorstep of Jerusalem. They would get to the gate, the Bible says. And God would stay them there. He would not allow them to advance any further. We saw last week how both Israel and Judah chose to look to other nations for their help. Instead of looking to God for deliverance, they went looking to other places. And that's part of what angers God is when we don't run to Him in our time of need. And they were looking to the world for their help. And if we place our trust in the world, we're headed for trouble. And we've got to be careful about who we run to for help. The saddest part in all of this to me was how chapter 1 closed last week. They would go into captivity and they would mourn for their children because the children would be separated from the parents. 
And it's a sad reminder of how sinful decisions by adults can affect the next generation in a very drastic way. Well, we covered a lot. So if you missed any of it, go online, listen, and uh, take the time if you have it. I would encourage you to do that as time permits. Let's begin chapter 2 today. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 5. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore, thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. So in chapter 1, the address of the prophet to the people was to both houses on the whole. But here in the beginning of chapter 2, the indictment against his people is now becoming more specific. He zeroes in on why judgment is coming. We saw kind of this overarching thing in chapter 1. But here God says he's going to bring judgment because of oppression. And we, we see that mentioned there in verse 2. And, and God is against us taking advantage of people. And, and they were oppressing everyone. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. Now this phrase communicates to us the premeditation of their sinfulness. It is something that they thought about in the night And when the light came, they were eager to practice what they had devised. To to devise means to plot. As the wicked are lying in their beds, they're scheming how they can commit evil the next day. That which enters your mind when you're alone, and when you are still, it reveals who you are. When you are without distraction... And I know that's hard to do today with all the electronics, but in the times when you're alone, what enters your mind? Brother Furs, you used to say, and I'm not sure that you coined this, but we're going to give you credit today. Brother Furs used to say, who you are when you're alone is who you really are. So what enters your mind when you lay your head down at night? Upon our beds at the end of the day is a time when we ought to be thankful for the blessings of God of that day. The goodness of God that we could actually lay our head down and rest. That God has provided the means to do that. It's a time when we ought to be resting from the labors that we worked that day and preparing for the labors for the next day. It's a time we should reflect on how blessed we are in Christ. But we have to be careful because our thoughts are more free when there's no distractions of the day. 
I've known people who, um, Adrian's dad would be a good example, who was a combat veteran, and uh, he was a LERP during Vietnam. And to distract himself from the thoughts of combat, always busy, always distracted, always trying to do something to keep your mind off of what haunts you. And when, when we get alone and, and we get away from distraction, that's when we have to really be careful. Brother Long, I don't know if you remember a couple, three years ago maybe when I preached the youth rally over in Gillette and how Elijah, uh, there was two different voices that were competing for him. One was God's voice, the other was the devil's. And they both were when he was alone. And, and when we're alone, it just says a lot about us. What's on your mind when there's no distractions? Is it the things of God or is it the things of the flesh? David said in Psalm 63, verses 3 through 6, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. And then he says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You see, godly people, when they get still and they are, are without distraction, their minds will turn to the things of God. They will think about the goodness of God as David here wrote. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. And he remembered God and he meditated upon God when he was upon his bed. In the night watches, when there's no distractions, he thought on God. He thought on God's loving kindness, God's name, and he was left with nothing but praise for God. In Psalm 4.4, David wrote, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. It's interesting to me that he writes that we should commune with our own heart. When we know Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And Jesus said, Out of the heart of men proceed Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. I believe we're, we're being told to know who we are before God. David said, I, I, I stand in awe, I sin not, I commune with God upon my bed, I, you have to know who you are. Who are you with Christ? Who are you without Christ? Because we can live our lives in either direction. Isn't that right? We can live our lives walking with Christ. We can live our lives walking in the flesh. It's our choice. When you lay down your head upon your bed, what enters your mind? And we have to learn to bring the mind into subjection to Christ. The greatest battlefield in your life is in your head. And Satan wants to get in there and get you to thinking stupid things. Well, I know nobody likes me there at that church. And to the point where people will say, well, I know God doesn't like me. 
The battlefield is here. And, and so what is entering your mind? You've got to bring that into subjection. We can choose to meditate on sinful behavior and schemes, or we can choose to meditate upon God and His Word. And so what we think on when there's no outward distractions reveals where our walk with God is at. It's a good way to gauge your spirituality. It's a good way to know where your heart is at. Do you think of sinful things or spiritual things? Some people think they're being spiritual, but they're being prideful. Luke 18, 11, and 12, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And those are the toughest ones to get through to. Most of the wicked, you don't have to go down to the saloon and convince them that they're wicked. Yeah, I know I am. Can I buy you another round? And we don't have to convince the lost world so much of their wickedness, but some are, are so stinking highfalutin. If I can fall back on that turn, that's been a while. That they're convinced that they are God's gift to the church. God's gift to the world around them, and you can't convince them of their pride. And like the Pharisees, their prayers are laced with, God, I thank thee that I. I thank thee that I am so awesome. I thank thee that my life is a blessing to everyone around me. Well, anyway, how do you use your downtime? How do you use the time before you fall asleep? Do you meditate upon God? Do you think on His Word? Do you talk with God? Or do you allow your mind to think on the wrong things? And hopefully there's no one here who is devising wickedness upon their beds, thinking about how to get away with something. Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4 say, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. So much evil, as we're seeing here in verse 1, is plotted in the mind. Well before it's ever manifested outwardly, there's a plan devised in the stillness. We often use the term mastermind in relation to some sort of elaborate scheme. But we really use that a lot when we think about some wicked thing that somebody got away with. Um, you know, I'm kind of a closet fan of D.B. Cooper. You know, how did, how did he get away with that? <clears throat> I shouldn't confess to you my... My secret uh, admirers, amen. All right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amen, brother. How much is that worth now, I wonder, you know? And we could use it for the building project. That's all I'm saying. If, if you're DB in here, um, many who destroyed their lives did so in the secret chambers of their heart while they were alone. I don't think I need to start listing sins to give you examples. I'll just borrow what I read from Jesus earlier. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. 
many of those sins, we can see where someone would plan their way to it and back away from it. How many sexual sins were committed with a plan on how no one would ever find out? How many murders were premeditated? How many thefts were preplanned? The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. David said in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, we could get caught up in a mini-series on the heart if we're not careful. Let's bottom line it with this. What's on your mind when you're alone? That's what it comes down to. What's on your mind when you're alone? I came across this quote. I can't remember who to credit. The plans that occupy men's minds at night upon their beds are a good test of character. But nobody knows that but you and, you and God. Now let's consider the second half of verse 1. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Again, it's language that's telling us it's premeditated. And then it's practiced because it's in their power to do so. Brother Long, you may not have caught this, but I just did an accidental alliteration. Premeditated, practiced, power. Uh, we have an inside joke about alliteration. And uh, if you're an alliterator, God bless you. So the plan is envisioned. Then the plan is executed. And then the plan is empowered. Oops, I did it again. I, I just... I'm not against alliteration if that's your style. I just don't see what the big deal is about using a thesaurus. <laughs> I know preachers, man, that's, that's how they preach. There was one guy here once cracked me up. He was, uh, every point started with a V. You remember that? And I thought, good night, how in the world? He got to point eight, and I thought, he's got to be running out of V's. <laughs> I don't know that many V's, and I'm just sitting there going, because the reason why I hate listening to alliterated measures because I'm always thinking of what the next point's going to be, and I'm not focusing on what he's actually saying now. Oh, I bet the next point's going to be service. And, uh, and so he was going through V's. 13 V's! <laughs> Good night! And I can't tell you what a one of them was, except one was probably victory. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as far as I get, amen? And uh, people say, well, it helps you remember. Don't help me remember. I can't remember. But, and I'm guessing on one of those. Uh, anyway, where did, I, where did I go here? So the wicked are devising wickedness at night. They can't wait until there's opportunity to practice what's in their power to do. And the picture in this verse is that just as soon as it's light outside in the morning, they're putting their, their plan into motion. Instead of rising and thanking God for a night of rest, thanking Him for the blessings of another day, they awake with a mind to sin. Those who sin in the day, as this is talking about, is giving us the picture of how shameless they have become in their sin. There's no desire to hide it in the cloak of darkness. And the last phrase of verse 1 says, they practice their iniquity because it is in the power of their hand. 
Some feel if it's in their power to do it, then they're justified to do it. I remember when Pastor Williams was conducting his weekly preacher boys class, he made the statement in one of his classes, and it may have actually been the title of an entire class, but he said this, others may, I may not. Others may, I may not. Now his application was in relation to things which may not be uh, evil. He wasn't saying that we can do evil, but he was talking about other things, but that aren't necessarily appropriate for men of God to partake in, but it may not necessarily be wrong. But the application can apply here. Others may, but we may not. There may be things that are in our power to do, but that doesn't mean we're permitted to do them. We must learn restraint. Restraint. Isn't it amazing what God gives us the power to do? It's amazing to me. What we, we can accomplish, what we can do, but it doesn't mean that we are necessarily permitted to do it. We can make plans, we can execute plans. God has given us the power to make decisions and do these things, but I want you to understand this morning, God does not force you to make the right decision. We are capable of all kinds of evil, all kinds of good, but the power is in our hand to choose what we're going to do. What kind of impact we want to have on others around us. And it's always been this way. Before the flood in Genesis 6-5, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We've always had a problem with what we do. Then at the Tower of Babel, God said in Genesis 11:6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do. They were building a tower, trying to reach up to God. And, and He said, And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. And then, of course, we know God confounded the language. He scattered mankind throughout the earth. But we can be so wicked in our imaginations. And when enough people conspire together, nothing can be restrained from them. We see nations today that are completely under totalitarian control. Wicked men. This is how we got the Third Reich. Communism, socialism, oppressive religious nations, North Korea-like regimes. Someone conspired to do evil. Enough people got on board. It was in the power of their hand to do it. And nothing could restrain that. The point is, there's power in our hands. We can execute all kinds of evil if we're not careful. We have to guard ourselves and we have to understand how wicked we can be in our flesh. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 say, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So there's a choice. You can yield your members to sin, you can yield your members to righteousness unto God. We must yield ourselves to God, amen? Don't obey the lust of your flesh. Yield yourself as an instrument of God's righteousness. Now, we see in verse 1 that God says to those who devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds, Woe to them! 
He's not telling us to slow down the horse. To be fair, I didn't look up all the 98 verses where, whoa, uh, I got halfway through, sister. I, I did pretty good. Um, but I can tell you that it's used as a means to pronounce judgment when you see woe in the Bible. It's not used in a good way. Lamentations 5.16 says, The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Ezekiel 6.23, And it came to pass, after all thy wickedness, woe, woe unto thee, saith the Lord God. You see the connection between sin, wickedness, and these woes, these judgments. Zephaniah 3.1 says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Matthew 11, verses 21 and 22. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And to give you an example that we probably are all familiar with, uh, think about how Jesus addressed the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And in Revelation, we read of the woes which are going to come to pass. It's judgment. This is judgment language. I'm going to judge those who devise iniquity upon their beds. He's letting them know to take notice. Judgment is on the way. But I want to take opportunity to apply some of this verse in a positive way as well. Because <laughs> it's been just kind of like... I'm just beating you up week after week. We're going in captivity. We're going in captivity. Yeah. And so I want to apply this in a, and, and spin this in a new way. And it's good timing because this is the first Sunday of the new year. God has given you the power to devise. He's given you the power to practice what you've devised. So what are you devising this year? Now, I don't want to turn this into one of those modern day television preacher motivation speeches. Amen. This isn't, I'm not trying to say you name it, you claim it. I'm not saying you can have your best life now. I don't want you to get that out of this. However, I want you to understand you're not likely to get done what you don't plan to get done. What you devise in your mind, you follow through with. If you devise spiritual goals, you can achieve spiritual goals. But if you devise fleshly goals, then you'll achieve those. God has given the power into your hand to devise. So what are your plans for 2020? What are your plans? If you aren't planning to read your Bible through this year, you won't. If you aren't planning to attend church, you won't. If you aren't planning to have a better prayer life, you won't. If you aren't planning to give, you won't. If you aren't planning to witness, you won't. You will never accidentally become a faithful Christian. I don't think anybody woke up in here and was like, oh my goodness, I've been walking with God for 20 years. How did that happen? You, you had a purpose, you had a plan, you devised to do that. You're not just going to accidentally do the right things. You, you will never accidentally memorize Scripture. I wish, man. I wish osmosis worked. It doesn't. You'll just get a headache. 
You'll never accidentally increase your giving. So what are your goals this year? You need to devise some kind of plan. If you plan to lose weight, as we all know I'm going to, <laughs> this is the year, I feel it. You've got to have a plan. You've got to get disciplined, right? You've got to get up and do it. If you plan to grow spiritually, then put a plan together, put it into motion, and accomplish your goals. Get disciplined. Look, you're disciplined enough to get up and go to work. You've heard me say this before, but it's not a matter of people say, well, I'm just not disciplined. Yes, you are. It's all a matter of what motivates you. What plan do you have in place this year? What are your goals? Now, I want you to understand, I'm not a planner. I am terrible at this whole planning thing. And so what I'm telling you is out of my comfort zone. I'm not trying to conform you to me. I'm not up here saying, this is what I do, and let me show you my planner, and uh, this is how you do a five-year plan. Look, my plan is whatever I'm doing right now. We're leaving tomorrow, and I still haven't packed. It's not even... I, look, this is, how, this is how bad I am, brother. Uh, brother Petraco, that missionary, contacted me this morning and said, hey, um, can we get together tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, no, I'm going out of town tomorrow. I, and so... <laughs> I just don't think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, it's not like this is something I live by, and, and I'm trying to give you this really cool advice. Uh, I've never been a planner. I, I don't know if you know what I'm saying. If, if you're like me, then your plan is, I hope he shuts up in the next 15 minutes, and I'm ready for the morning service. That's your plan. You're not even thinking about lunch yet. And, uh, and so anyway, I, for the most part, I've been able to successfully live this way. I, I, I did it throughout my military career, never had a planner. Uh, I, I don't like planners. I'm, I, uh, I'm getting sick to my stomach thinking about it. I, but I'm getting closer to it now that I'm in the ministry because it is very busy. Um, if you've come to me and you've ever requested a meeting, you've likely heard me say this, let me check my schedule and I'll get back with you. That's code for, let me check with my wife who plans everything. And then I'll know what it is I'm doing. Yeah, well, don't spread that around, okay? And, uh, and so I'll go to my wife and say, uh, so can I make this meeting happen tomorrow? Well, no, we're going out of town. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, I'm supposed to spend time with my family. And so it's just one of those things. And, and, and so I'll tell you, I'll, let me check my schedule and I'll get back with you. Because I don't have it like on my phone. I remember the first time, I remember Dr. Mike Wells, and he pulled out his phone. He's like, yeah, let me... Let me get that schedule. And this was like back in 99 or two. I mean, he had a cell phone back then. You know, writing that down. And uh, very, very high tech. And I thought, that's going to be me one day. I, I'm, I'm going to know what I'm doing and I'm going to look like it. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. But now I have to think about the church calendar. Amen. So my wife's a planner. Any other men married to planners? Uh, I got some advice for you, and, um, but that's private counsel. And so uh, she helps me with my schedule, both personally and in the church, because I hate to plan. So God, in order to force me to deal with this issue that I have and to get me out of my comfort zone, made me a pastor. And now I have to be mindful of things in order to take the oversight thereof 
and to look well into the estate of this flock. I find myself now, I'm looking at parking issues, I'm looking at seating issues, I'm making plans, I'm devising. How do we accommodate more people? How do we reach more souls? Um, but I, I want to tell you, this is a weakness of mine. And we'll talk about this tonight as we do our State of the Church address. But it's one of those things where I can get up here and I can tell you week after week, year after year, and I can tell you we've got to reach more souls. We've got to reach more souls. We've got to make more room. We've got to do this. But if there's no plan to do it, we're never going to do it. Isn't that right? So what we plan to get done, um, we, we have to put a plan down, but then we have to execute that. Anyway, like I said, we'll talk more about that tonight. But we've got to get things accomplished. So how are you going to use the power God has given into your hand? Proverbs 3.27 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. You have the power in your hand to do good. That's what the Bible says. And so how, how are you going to use the power that God has given you? It was God's sovereign will to give you a free will. Got that from A.W. Tozer. That's a snapshot of how he said it. Best answer I ever heard on why we have a free will, and yet God's still sovereign. In God's sovereign will, he gave us a free will. He's given you the ability to make plans. He's given you the power to follow through with those plans. And I just want to encourage you in 2020, make plans for God. Make plans for God. Decide, I'm going to witness to X amount of people. I'm going to read this much of my Bible. I'm going to be faithful to this many church services. I'm going to uh, give this amount. I'm going to pray for uh, our church roster. I'm going to pray through the church roster. Think of some goals that, that you can do for God and your 2020 will be more spiritual than it was in 2019. Because we ought to be grown. We ought to be closer to the Lord this year than we were last year. We ought to do more for God this year than we did last year. Amen. We've got to keep growing. We've got to keep doing for God. And what you devise in your mind, the plan that you come up with, it is in your power to do it. And so don't be blaming everybody else. Well, I would have got it done, but. I bet you got other stuff done last year. Okay, it's Sunday school. It's not preaching time. I better not go there because I'll start preaching. Let's pray.